I want, when I want, and how I want, and nobody can tell me otherwise. That is the world's label of freedom. Do anything, at any time, in any way, and who cares? Nobody else can say anything about it. That is not biblical freedom. Biblical freedom, it is true freedom that Christ sets us free for. And tonight, we have three verses to study and to look at, each one loaded with truth. So let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and our minds about Christian freedom. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the singing tonight and the special music, both from the, all the men in the church as well as from Pastor as he preached about your coming and how you have set the captives free and you've transformed and changed everything, wiped every tear away. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his coming to die for us, to set us free from the prison of sin and self and death and guilt and shame. And he has liberated us to serve you, to be able to serve others with love and joy. So I pray, Father, tonight that our minds being fixed on Christ would embrace and joyfully accept our freedom in Christ. Not going back to the bondage of the law, but not going to the other extreme, license to sin. So keep us balanced, Father. Keep us biblical. And do all of this by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the honor and glory of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Take your Bibles, please. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we have three verses and we have three points. Galatians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 13. Let's look and see what God's word says. Galatians 5, 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So this is the text we're looking at. And I want to begin by, of course, you know the, the, what's going on in the Galatian church. They have heard the gospel, justification by grace through faith alone, apart from the deeds of the law. That's how the Galatians were saved. That's what the Old Testament teaches. That's what they accepted from Paul when he first arrived on the scene, even in his diseased condition. They accepted it, embraced it, and lived it out. But we saw this morning in the text, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 5, that they were running their Christian race. They started at their salvation, and they're running down the track. The goal is Jesus Christ and, and Christ-likeness. And coming out from the sidelines somewhere are the, are the Judaizers, the false teachers. And they cut in on the runner, and they hindered the race of the Galatians. So no longer was spiritual growth and maturity happening. Listen. If we stop growing in spiritual maturity, do you know what we end up becoming? Self-focused, inward-focused, and as soon as I become self-focused, you know what happens? My whole body rages for my rights, my preferences, me, 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 and I will fight to the death to protect me and my rights and myself and my will and my, my, my. And that's what was happening in the Galatian church as we see from verse 15. We go back to that type of living, wow, 
we are locked up under the law, the power of the Holy Spirit, not working in our life. All we're doing is producing fruit to the flesh instead of fruit to the Spirit. So my, so my first point is this. It is a call again to liberty, a call to liberty. Galatians 5.13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. And we've heard this over and over for months now. But let me remind you. Before you were saved, you were in a prison. You were locked up in chains on death row, waiting to, be con- waiting to be sentenced and condemned and sent away for all eternity to a lake of fire. That is all that we had in hope for. That's all that could ex- exist in our life. Every law of God we've broken. The, uh, James 2.10 says you break one law, you break, you've broken them all. You've dishonored God, you've not loved your neighbor, and on and on and on. And so this, this prison cell... No power of the Holy Spirit, only external commands. By the way, the more external commands, does it produce any holiness in your life? None at all. I could have a hundred speed limit signs saying 30 miles an hour on the side of the road here on Maple Grove Road. That does not mean I'm going to go 30 miles an hour. As a matter of fact, every time I pass a 30 mile an hour speed speed limit sign, do you know what I probably want to say in my flesh? I bet I can go 35 without getting a ticket. I bet I could go 36 and a half without getting a ticket. I'm going to push the line, push the line until I get a ticket. Because the external law cannot change my heart. It is an outside, external thing. What I need is I need that law written on my heart, and I need a power to get me to obey. And all of that is found in the Holy Spirit. He writes the law of God in our hearts when I become a new creation, and then he indwells me forever, empowering me to obey. So this is what we've been called for, to get out of the prison, to get out of the condemnation, guilt, and shame of living under the law, and be set free. We are called to live freely. So one of the, one of the um, losses of freedom is going back to the law, isn't it? You go back to the law, you've just lost your freedom in Christ. You've entered the prison cell, you've closed the door, the Holy Spirit's outside, you're inside, there's no power, and all you can do is fulfill the lust of the flesh. But... As it says here in the call to liberty, verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty only, here it is, my second point, there is a temptation to license. There's a temptation to license. The end of verse 13 says this, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. It is possible to take, legal, or to take uh, freedom to the other extreme. One extreme is legalism, putting yourself back in the prison under the law, saying you must do this, do this, do this to gain favor by God. But the other extreme is just as dangerous, and it is license to sin. People say, hey, I am free. I am free from the law. Oh, happy condition. Now I can sin with Jesus' permission. And they feel like the more that I sin, the more grace will abound. And many, many Christians live that way, don't they? They don't look at any boundaries, they simply say, any sin I commit, God forgives. His forgiveness is his grace. The more I sin, the more grace abounds to the glory of God. That is not true. We are free, but here it is. True freedom is never to indulge our flesh. Got it? True freedom in Christ is never permission to indulge the flesh. We don't have freedom to do that. says in verse 13 we can use it at we can use freedom or liberty as an opportunity you know what that word opportunity is it is a base camp it's a military word 
It is a base camp from which you would set up your army and springboard from there into other areas. And people can take freedom and make such a call for freedom that that becomes a springboard to all sorts of sins and all sorts of lusts. Now, take your Bibles. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Go to me with, uh, to, and we're going to see a few things here about taking, using liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Peter commands us and says, absolutely not. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, here's what Peter says about it. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, this world is not my home, this place is not where I'm setting down deep roots, I'm a sojourner and a pilgrim on this earth. Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which what? War against your soul. We have in our soul a sin nature, and we have the Holy Spirit. And they war, and as we'll see in the coming weeks, they're contrary to each other. Peter says, abstain from the fleshly lusts, these desires that come from my flesh. Now, when he says flesh, he's, listen, everybody, he's not talking about my two hands, two feet, eyes, nose, and mouth. Although my body can easily go into sin, when he's talking about the flesh, he's not talking about our physical frame. He's talking about the sin nature that is self-centered and self-willed. Listen. My, my flesh, which is the sin nature, is so evil right now that if it could, it would rise up, it would dethrone and kill God and set me on the throne. That is our flesh, our sinful nature, our unregenerate man, which was crucified with Christ, is so wicked and it so badly wants to set up myself as king that it would dethrone God if it were possible, kick him off the throne, destroy him and set me up there. That is the flesh. And the desires of my flesh, they are, they are raging, and they could rage. And so Peter says, abstain. What does abstain mean? Don't do it. Stop doing it. Don't do it. There are things in Christian freedom that we don't do. We abstain from these fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Verse 12, having your conduct honorable. So our conduct should be of highest honor and nobility for our position in Christ. So there are things we abstain from. How do you know which things? You look to the word of God and the things which are contrary to God's will, those things we don't do. We abstain. And then he goes on, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, remember this morning, the the world and false teachers will persecute truth and, and Christians and believers, that when the Gentiles speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So Peter says the same thing. Paul says to the Galatians, don't let liberty be a springboard to indulge your flesh. Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. And then justify it by saying, I'm free in Christ. Peter says, abstain from these fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Let's see what James has to say about it. Go with me to James chapter 4. Another writer of the New Testament. James chapter 4. Go back, you're in First Peter, go back a book to the book of James, and let's, let's look at chapter 4, verse 1. I just, I preached the book of James, what, a year ago, verse by verse, if you recall those messages, we'll pick it right up in chapter 4, verse 1. James is saying this to the, to the believers, 
where do wars and fights come from among you? So there was wars and fighting among the Christians in the church. Oh, is this every church that we read about? Every church, wars and conflict and fighting. It ought not to be that way, but James looks at the church scene and he says, listen, believers, where do the wars and fights, fighting come from that rises up within your ranks? What's the root of it? Well, he's going to give us the root of these wars and fights that come from among us. He says this at the end of verse 1, do they not come from your desires, your desires for pleasure? Those are lusts, fleshly lusts. You have desires for pleasure that war in your members. But the idea there is, remember this, I have desires in my flesh, in, in the sin nature that wants to protect self and guard self and do everything for self. And as soon as those rights or privileges are infringed on, my whole body goes to war for me. If there's wars in my member and it wants to war against anything that'll stop me from getting my way. Is that deadly for a church family? If somebody in the church says, I want my way, I want my rights, this church is about me, and if it doesn't satisfy and please me, if it's not all about me, then I will fight, and I will bite, and I will devour and destroy until I get it. You, you know where the wars and fights come from among us? It comes from our own sin nature that rises up with these desires for pleasure, and it puts my whole life in battle array, and then I begin to fight because I want something that I believe is mine. It's these fleshly lusts which freedom could be a springboard to. Paul tells the Galatians, don't use your freedom to be a springboard to this type of activity. It says in verse 2, you lust, you desire, and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. I mean, these people tried. Whatever they could do to please themselves and set themselves up as the idol and anything that came upon them that maybe they would have to lay down their rights and lay down their privileges, they didn't want to. They fought. They set up their battlegrounds and they fought and fought. No repentance, no brokenness, no humility. That's where wars and fights come from among us. It comes from within in our flesh. Even murder. Was it literal murder? Would believers actually murder another believer to get their own way and to have those own rights? It lies within the possibility of all of our flesh to do such things. You fight, verse 2 says, and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You do ask, James says in verse 3, and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. They were praying and asking, but they wanted the wrong end. They wanted their own goal and their own rights and their own privileges, and they would do anything to achieve that. But is that what we're asked to do in our Christian freedom? To say, protect the flesh, guard the flesh, keep the flesh going, let the flesh rise high? And the answer is no, it's not. Let's see what John says. We saw already what Peter says and what James says. Let's go to 1 John. Look at 1 John as we continue to look at this flesh that could be an opportunity to rise up in our Christian freedom. We're definitely not going back to the law. We're not going to put ourselves under the law. But it is possible for us to indulge the flesh, to demand our own way and our own rights to the destruction of others. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Again, I preached this book verse by verse a couple of years ago. 
1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to this, everybody. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. You want to you know right now? Manifest means made known. Do you want to know who's a child of the devil and who's a child of God? It's going to tell us right here, and we should be able to see it in everybody's lives. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. There you go. You don't practice righteousness, you're not of God, which means you're a child of the devil. Nor is he who does not what? Love his brother. Because you know what's the one thing that is going to destroy the fleshly lust that warm my soul? The Holy Spirit and love. And so that's going to be the next command in Galatians, as we see when we get back to Galatians in a minute. Verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That is how children of God are made manifest. It is by your love for one another. He goes on, not as Cain. Was Cain a loving brother? I'm glad I didn't have him as a brother. He doesn't like your sacrifice. He doesn't like the fact that he wasn't as accepted before God as the animal sacrifice of Abel. And he, listen to what it says. Who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother in the Greek? Slaughtered. It wasn't just like a, a murder, like drink a little poison and go to sleep and, you know. No, it was a slaughter. Blood and flesh splattered. I mean, I don't know. He murdered his brother. He slaughtered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life. Here's how you know. Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. All right. So there's a war or fight among us. Hard to believe, but can you imagine if it were to happen? Somebody is taking freedom, and it becomes a springboard for the indulgence of the flesh. Their flesh demands their way and their rights, their justification of some kind, and they will go to all odds to get it for themselves in the church. And it says here, if they hate a brother in the process, it is as if if they had the ability and no restraint, they would kill them. You hate your brother, you're a murderer, just like Cain. We think Cain was awful with what he did with Abel. You let your fleshly, you let your fleshly lust rule your life in the license to sin, and it is as if you actually killed somebody in the church. And if we were not restrained, we would do that in our hatred. This is the church we're talking about. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Well, let's go over to chapter 4 quickly, verse 20. If someone says, I love God, 1 John 4, 20, if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Isn't that true? Look, look around and you can see everybody in this room. We're all three-dimensional creatures, right? We can all be seen, we're visible. If you don't love one another, if instead you use liberty to springboard, to indulge your flesh, to demand your rights and your way at all extremes, to be able to say, I will do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, and who cares what the rest of the church family thinks, if you have that mindset, you would hate your brother you would actually kill them if you actually could get away with that without any restraint, if you followed it all the way back to the heart. And you actually don't love God because if you don't love somebody who you can see, then you cannot love God who you cannot see. Makes, makes a lot of sense. 
Verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. You love God, you must love one another. Because when you love one another, you are not indulging the flesh. You're not making opportunity to fulfill your flesh. And that is true freedom. All right, let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. After that little journey about the flesh and hearing from James and Peter and John as well, let's go back to verse 13. You, brothers and sisters at faith, you've been called to freedom. You have. You're not under the bondage of the law. You're not under the curse of the law. You're not under a list of do's and don'ts. You have the Holy Spirit and the law of God on your heart. Um, you have been called to freedom. But don't go the other direction and abuse your freedom. Don't use that freedom to springboard to take care of your, the indulgences of the flesh. But here's the, here's the solution to it. Through love, serve one another. Through agape love. You know what agape love is? Agape love is self-sacrificing love. It is unconditional, sacrificial love that does good for the other person, regardless of the response. That's the kind of love we need to have for one another. You love people who maybe are not lovable or lovely. You love them anyways. You sacrifice yourself unconditionally, giving them love, ben bestowing upon them good benefits at a great cost to you with no hope of return. Isn't that what Jesus Christ did? He came to earth, gave himself, he paid our debt, and whatever wrath of God we deserve was poured out on him, whether we accept him or not. He did it out of love for us. Even if not one person was ever born again or saved, he still would have done it out of his love and grace for us. So that's the type of love that we have to know. It says this, but through love, serve one another. You know what the word serve is? It's an interesting word. It has the root doulas. Do you know what a doulas is? A doulas is not just a slave or a servant in the house. A doulas is a slave, one whose will is bound up in the other. It is a tight, heavy word for a slave. You're, we're not simply servants of one another. We are slaves of one another. So get this. You want to know what cr true Christian freedom is? Freedom is slavery. True freedom is slavery. It is the slavery that you finally are able to love one another as Christ has commanded us. To love one another as Christ has loved us. That is our command. You are a slave to love others. Now, if you were a doulas, did you have a will of your own or was your will bound up in your master? You had no will of your own. You don't choose, I'm going to do this and that and this. I'm going to go there and there. No, all you do is what your master says. And our master has said this. You must serve one another through love. No options. Now listen, when you do that, you are, self you are sacrificing. You're, you're laying aside your rights, privileges for the benefit of others, unconditional love. Well, as soon as you do that, you're not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Because what, is my what does my flesh want? My way, my rights, my privileges. And when I love and serve you, when I become your slave, then it's not about me. It's not about my rights. It's not about my privileges. It is about what is best for you. It is, it is completely others-minded. So true biblical freedom it is not about us and indulging our flesh. It is about caring for others, loving others.
loving one another. Look at verse 14. Galatians 5, 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. One word. Not ten commandments. You don't put the, the law in ten commandments or 613 commandments or even two commandments. Paul says we can put the whole word down, the whole, all of the law down to one word. Love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the word. Because we saw in John, if you love your neighbor as yourself, who do you really love? You really love the Lord. And who is your neighbor? Everybody. People next to you. Remember the Good Samaritan? Who was the neighbor? You know. We are, we are neighbors one to another. Our spouses are our closest neighbor. And we, that are, so that's our mission. Our mission within the context of the local church is you go out of your way to serve one another. And here particularly, it's within the church. Serve. And then in Galatians 6, we are not to grow weary in well-doing, and we're to do good to all the household of God, but also all people. So he extends it even to doing good to others. But particularly, our love should be made manifest within this family of believers right here. You should know, love, and serve one another with good works. No place for vengeance, no place for retaliation, no place for hatred, no place for... Anything. It, it is simply, we love one another. Agape love. All right. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, that comes from the book of Leviticus. And then look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another. These are words used for the savage animals out in the, in the field, in the, in the forest. These are animals that would bite Destroy and, and leave. And when I was in Kenya a couple years ago, or two years ago, with uh, Brother Mwindi, uh, we did spend one day on the Masimara. And on the Masimara, the Serengeti of Tanzania, it's Masimara in Kenya. And we drove around for 12 hours in, in the, in the four-wheel four drive. And we saw all sorts of animals. Cheetah, we saw, um, we saw lions and lionesses and cubs, and we saw... Um, so many elephant, we couldn't even number them all. We saw giraffes. Of high, the first giraffe, it's cool. You're like, oh, look at the giraffe. And then after you've seen about 60 or 70 of them, who cares if you see giraffes? You know, they're, they're as common as mosquitoes in Minnesota. But, um, but when we were there, I was amazed. The whole, the whole uh, Masimara littered with carcasses because animals bite and devour one another, and their carcasses are strewn all over the place. And so... Paul looks at the Galatians because they had gone back in the prison of the law and maybe some had gone to the abuse of freedom into their uh, indulging their flesh. And Paul looks at their church and says, you are biting and devouring one another. You are destroying and consuming one another. There is no love in that. There is no love at all in that. You are biting and devouring one another. Beware lest you be consumed by one another. Notice who gets consumed. Both people consumed by one another. You injure somebody in the church, you bite and you devour them. Not only do you injure that person, you injure yourself. And then pretty soon, many people are injured and the whole church is destroyed. Do you, do you see almost how fragile the, the church is and how important our relationships are with one another? The strength and the health of our church relies on our relationships one with another. And if there's not a love a true agape love of, of service one to another, then the church is unhealthy. The world looks upon it and shakes their head. God is not glorified. We are not strengthened. The flesh is indulged. We bite, devour, and pretty soon there's no light, there's no witness, the door is closed, and we're done. 
I mean, that is possible because it happens all the time. But we guard the church here so that that doesn't happen, right? How do we do it? The whole law is really fulfilled in one word, love. Love one another. Quickly, our last text. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As we continue to think about freedom and the indulgence of the flesh, I want to give you, as we close here, in 1 Corinthians 6, a, a way to monitor your acts, your, your responsibility. You know, Peter says abstain from fleshly lusts. It, it, any common question would be, well, what are those fleshly lusts? Can I watch TV? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I go here? Can I go there? I mean, there are some clear boundaries. We all know that, right? Sexual sin, abstain. No, there's no doubt, no question about it. But what about the areas we're not sure about? Use this when we talk about freedom so you don't go into the area of the flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Now, I, I did preach through 1 Corinthians years ago. Remember this? If you were here for the 1 Corinthians study, the Corinthian church had these slogans. They'd have these slogans that they would say over and over and over again. And it was just kind of their way of doing things and, and, and actually putting their theology into short sentences, but a lot of their sentences were wrong. And I think this is one of those slogans or mantras that the Corinthians used. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me. Do you see that in 1 Corinthians 6, 12? Can you imagine the Corinthian church? They're walking around going, all things are lawful for me. I'm free in Christ. I can do anything I want, when I want. Nobody cares. Their thought was, all things are lawful. So Paul says, oh, sure, all things are lawful, freedom in Christ, but here are some boundaries. Verse 12. And this is what our, this is what our love comes under. Our, our freedom is bounded by love, and here are some insights. But all things are not what? Helpful. So you look at what you do. Is it beneficial? Is it beneficial to you bodily, physically? Is it beneficial to you spiritually? Not only that, is it beneficial to the whole church? Is it helpful and good for the whole church? Because we're not isolated. We're all in community here. You agree? So you have to ask yourself, is what I'm doing good, beneficial? Is it helpful to me and to others to grow spiritually? If it's not good for you, then I'm not going to do it. I just won't do it. If it somehow would cause you to stumble, cause you to slip, cause you to wander, cause you to wonder, I'm not going to do it because I don't want anybody led astray. I want to be helpful and beneficial in my, in my Christian living. But then there's another one. All things are lawful for me, the Corinthians would say. And Paul says, sure, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I'm not going to do things that enslave. Things where I can get addicted. Even if it's a good thing and I get addicted, it enslaves me. It's not good. It's not helpful. And so what's our response to those things that will enslave us? Don't do it abstain from those fleshly lusts because it'll turn into an idol and we'll end up biting and devouring one another. And now head over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. After talking about the meat offered to idols in the temple, and by the way, that whole thing I would love to spend time with, but we don't have time tonight, but just picking it up at the end of that whole discussion of chapters 8, 9, and 10, we get this in verse 23. All things are lawful for me. See how the Corinthians love to use that phrase? 
Paul clarifies it, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. But then Paul clarifies, but not all things do what? Edify. So they not only have to be beneficial, they also um, can't enslave me. And they have to build me and others up. They have to be edifying, building up, like you're building a house. So my behavior is going to be in freedom. My behavior is going to be that of love. And love is going to require me to abstain from certain things, clearly sinful things, but also things that are not helpful, things that would enslave me, and things that wouldn't build the whole church up. Is it right to say I will stop something if it causes other people in the church to have a problem? Yes, it absolutely is. If I say, I don't care if you have a problem, I'm doing it anyways, well, now I've just indulged the flesh and I'm beginning to bite and devour you all, and pretty soon the flesh wars and sets up a battle array, and anybody who comes after me, I fight, 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 and then you get hurt, I get hurt. God's witness is destroyed. So we look at these things. He goes on, verse 24. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. You come into the church, it's not about you, it's not about what you've done and, and what kind of rewards or thank yous or appreciation you're going to get. It is about others. We are t- focused on others. Others mind. We are, Remember from Philippians 2, we are like-minded, we are others-minded, we are lowly-minded. And all of that you see in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was like-minded with the Father. He then took upon himself the form of a servant. He was lowly-minded, and he was others-minded. He went even unto the cross, obedient even unto the cross. So he was like-minded, lowly-minded, and others-minded. We also need to be like-minded as a church. We need to be lowly-minded, humble, putting others before ourselves, just always thinking about others. So we enter the church, worship service, public things, um, during the week in our fellowships, always, always thinking about others. It's not what's best for me. It's what's best for you. You first, you first, giving preference to the other. We do that. Does our liberty have any springboard to cause me to go into sin? None at all. Because it's not about me. It's not, I'm not protecting and lifting up myself. I'm now focused on others. And that is the key. That's where we live, right here. You don't live over here with the, with the license to sin and please your, your flesh. And you don't live under here, confined in the prison of the, of the law under its curse and condemnation. You live right here. And what is the key to true freedom? Love. Loving one another. So let's pray. Father, as we just think about this text and realize that it is possible for this church to rise up, bite, and devour one another. It is possible for us to use our Christian liberty as a springboard to take care of ourselves, please ourselves, lift ourselves up, dethrone you, dethrone, put others down, tear others down. It is full of wickedness, as we will soon see how the flesh is characterized by sexual immorality, even religious sins, and all sorts of wickedness. That's what lies in our flesh. But we want to walk in the Spirit, and we do that as the Holy Spirit empowers us to love others. We want to be bounded by love, doing things that are helpful, not enslaving, and edifying. This is the type of life we want, Father. So this week, give us opportunity to love others, to really think about others and their needs, putting them before us. We want to be humble. We want to 
serve. We are slaves one to another. It's amazing, Father, that we got out of the slavery of the law and sin and death only to become slaves of Christ, which puts us slaves to others in love. Help us to live this out, to manifest it in our actual deeds this week, not just in speaking, but in deeds. Let our deeds be full of love and care. And may the world look at this church and be amazed and wonder how we can live like this. And then we point them to the Savior who exemplifies this. And we pray that they on the outside would be saved and we would be strengthened and built up as one holy church, one church set apart for you. To the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.